Thanks for listening to the First Take podcast. This week, we discussed US approval of the first new lupus therapy in a decade, Eli Lilly's optimistic body language about bringing a new Alzheimer's treatment to market next year, and Sanofi's acquisition of messenger RNA specialist Translate Bio. AstraZeneca announced on Monday that the FDA has approved its drug Safnello for the treatment of adults with moderate to severe SLE who are receiving standard therapy. The company noted that this marks the first regulatory clearance for a type 1 interferon receptor antagonist and is the first new treatment approved for SLE in more than 10 years. Michael, clearly this feels like a landmark approval uh, for lupus patients but it's been a less than straightforward route to the market for the drug. Yeah, you know, lupus is a really complicated disease. And uh, so it's it's no surprise that, that Safnilo or Safnello uh, sort of had a, um, a less than straightforward path. I mean, the same thing happened with Benlista, which was the, the, the most recent drug before this to prove for, for SLE, which, as you said, was about 10 years ago. So, you know, the first phase three trial didn't uh, hit the, the primary endpoint. And so people were sort of like, well, it seems like it's, it's doing something, but it, it didn't hit the endpoint. So they, they changed the endpoint for a second phase three trial. They used a, a sort of a more sensitive endpoint. And by that measure, it, it did hit um, the, the mark. And actually, they went back and looked and saw that on the second uh, trial, it actually would have hit the original endpoint anyway. So it's just, I think it suggests or it is suggestive of just how complex, heterogeneous and variable um, a disease like lupus is because it's got so many different organ systems involved and, and that sort of thing. But so I talked to a KOL and uh, she was... Number, I think there were two things that she, two sort of takeaway messages. Her number one, she was just very happy, I would say ecstatic, that FDA approved this drug um, because, you know, this is a, a disease that there's just not that much out there and uh, that it's a serious, um, there's some serious manifestations of it. And she said patients have been waiting for this drug in particular for years. So it's just, it's, it, it was nice to see for her, from her perspective that FDA was willing to be a little more flexible in their willingness to approve it based on, you know, the one quote unquote successful phase three trial. And hopefully that will be, you know, a, um, a reason for other companies to, to get a little more active in doing studies and doing research in the, in the field. So that's the one side. On the second side, um, or the second point she really wanted to make is that this drug, Safnilo, is very, very effective against skin manifestations of lupus because you know there's there's several different uh ways that lupus manifests like the skin is one joints is another and then um renal um lupus nephritis is, is sort of a, a another one and she said it's really really effective against skin manifestations and there's patients that have these exposed ulcers on you know their face and stuff like that that is really deleterious to the quality of life so this is a really a big step forward for those patients and you know i think that the the ones that don't get a um 
you know, don't get a, a treatment effect from the available drugs. She said it's it's a small segment, you know, she said like maybe 5% of the population, but for those people, this is going to be really, really effective and really, really a good thing for them. Um, so yeah, it's, it was a, uh, definitely a good step forward. And I'm sure that, uh, you know, other companies will see it and probably, uh, or hopefully be willing to get more into the lupus, um, setting. And in terms of other drugs in the pipeline, are there any products that she's sort of particularly excited about? Yeah, there's two that she mentioned. Um, so she said on one hand, there's JAK inhibitors, uh, baricitinib being the one that she brought up because it's in later stage development. She's not that concerned about the, you know, the cloud of safety questions that's hanging over the class. And she's looking forward to a readout sometime soon from, from baricitinib. And then the other one was uh, Gaziva from Roche, which is in, it's, it went through a phase two trial, the nobility trial, and this is for lupus nephritis. Um, so for the, for the kidney manifestations, and it was very effective. She said it, it might be sort of the most effective drug of them all, albeit for lupus nephritis specifically. And so she's really excited about that as well. So those are the two that she's really looking forward to. Eli Lilly announced its second quarter earnings this week, but most focus from analysts was on the company's planned US regulatory submission for the investigational Alzheimer's drug Donanumab with the FDA. Eli Lilly is seeking accelerated approval by the end of 2021. And whilst the company didn't provide any meaningful updates on the regulatory process, it did say that it's become increasingly confident of securing approval for the drug in the US market next year. It also sounded extremely bullish about the potential for Denanumab to immediately put Biogen's controversial Alzheimer's treatment Aduhelm under some competitive pressure if indeed it does reach the market. So Michael, we've obviously discussed the Alzheimer's space um, many times in the last couple of months following Aduhelm's approval. What do you kind of make um, of the comments that Lily's been making this week? They seem to be um, really setting out their stall in terms of why denanumab could be a more effective treatment. And obviously, there's a huge amount of uncertainty still um, around Aduhelm's actual effectiveness. Right. And that's sort of the backdrop of this whole situation is that there's all these serious questions about Adyelm and, you know, does it work? How well does it work? That sort of thing. And Eli Lilly has for months now, they've been, you know, they've been talking up Denanumab, um, but obviously since the approval of Adyelm, which was obviously hugely controversial, the fact that FDA let that through had to have given you know Eli Lilly a, a huge shot of confidence about denanumab, and so they've they've been laying out the the case for denanumab for months now. But you know the just this week they reported some new phase two data that sort of continues to support you know what they've been saying about it, which it you know it's it's showing this really strong effect, um, not just on amyloid plaque and the correlation with cognitive decline, which is very important, and they keep showing that, but also you know. Um, impact on other markers like PTAU-217, basically tau. Um, it's, it's clearly having an effect on all these markers that we think have, you know, are associated with Alzheimer's disease. So this, this better profile that Eli Lilly has been essentially uh, touting for months now 
um, you know, it basically could translate into some significant advantages in the actual commercial setting. Um, the basically what they're saying is that the faster reduction in amyloid that denanomag seems to be having could mean a more finite dosing regimen, which would be a huge advantage in terms of convenience and cost relative to Aduhelm, which um, at the moment anyway, Biogen is suggesting should be dosed chronically. So, it, you know, that's obviously a big thing for Eli Lilly and uh, just another thing that seems to be going in their direction at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a kind of classic case of, and Roche is doing this to a certain extent as well, but Eli Lilly is certainly able to look at the questions that are being asked of Biogen and Aduhelm and almost kind of working out ahead of time, you know, obviously with the data to back it up, you know, how they can address those concerns. So it, it's going to be fascinating, I think, to see how this plays out, you know, over the next um, you know, 12 months or so, assuming they, they, they do secure approval, would be fascinating to see when it when it comes to the market, you know, how it performs and how many of those doors have been opened by by Biogen already. Um, you know, that that being the kind of, you know, what we're sort of talking about, you know, Lily's ability to almost sort of piggyback on on Biogen's kind of regulatory success. I think the other thing that's, you know, super interesting, um, you know, listening to to Lily this week talking about their quarterly results and then reading what analysts are saying is, you know, the share price has nearly doubled this year. I think it's up about 98% for the year to date. And, you know, this sort of opportunity that has emerged for the company in the Alzheimer's space, you know, somewhat unexpectedly because of the Adelhelm approval, it's, all, it's also got to be looked at in the context of, of the company's broader you know, performance in terms of late stage R&D. I mean, there's there's lots of things going right for the company's pipeline at the moment. We've had, you know, the recent confirmation that it's SGLT2 inhibitor Jardiance, uh, which is partnered with Boehring Ingelheim. That's hit its primary endpoint in an, in an important heart failure study. We're going to see the data from that study, I think, later this month. It's on in the process of submitting uh, to Zepatide, uh, as a new sort of novel mechanism for the treatment of diabetes. There's extremely high commercial expectations for that drug. And then this week as well, uh, they mentioned that Vizenio, which is their CDK4-6 inhibitor, uh, which is um, approved for uh, metastatic um, ER positive uh, HER2 negative breast cancer. That's going to be approved um, for early stage uh, use uh, by the end of the year, they think initial approval in the US by the end of the year. But kind of more surprisingly is that it's it's moved into a phase three study for the treatment of prostate cancer. Um, and that's come about using an adaptive uh, study design where uh, Vizenio has um, actually hit its primary endpoint in a phase two study at an interim analysis, which is, you know, it's pretty unheard of, to be honest. So, it, it, you know, Lily is suggesting that it's hit a pretty high clinical bar. So that opens up, you know, another revenue opportunity for Vizenio and potentially sort of differentiates that drug versus the other CDK4-6 inhibitors. So it's, um, it's definitely a, a good time for Eli Lilly. Sanofi announced on Tuesday a definitive agreement to acquire all of Translate Bio's outstanding stock for $38 per share in cash, 
representing a total equity value of approximately $3.2 billion, boosting the French company's push into messenger RNA vaccines and therapeutics. The companies noted that the boards of both drug makers have unanimously approved the transaction, which is now expected to close in the third quarter. Michael, what are your thoughts on Sanofi, one of the sort of more traditional vaccine players, um, making a bigger push into messenger RNA? Yeah, it just makes a lot of sense from a strategic point of view. Obviously, mRNA vaccines right now are, you know, the hottest thing since since sliced bread or whatever. But, uh, you know, they've basically been uh, validated given their success in, in COVID-19. And uh, as you said, Sanofi has this huge stake in regular influenza vaccines. And there's been a lot of talk about the potential utility of mRNA vaccines in influenza. So it just sort of makes sense that they might cover their bases and want to have the the this platform in-house to, to basically deal with or make the make the transition over to the influenza space. I remember talking to a KOL several months ago and she was saying that Yes, well, this is cool that the, it's working in COVID, but it's got you know huge potential for other um, infectious diseases, including she specified influenza. So, um, yeah, it makes a lot. It makes a lot of sense. Um, it's you know it's a rather sizable transaction. Three point two billion is not chump change, um, but it, it's important. And uh, you know they they're planning clearly going to invest heavily in it. They said. They're going to invest what about 100 or 400 million euros annually to develop mRNA vaccines um, and create a dedicated unit focused on integrating the end-to-end -end mRNA vaccine capabilities into their sites in the U.S. and France. So, you know, this is obviously going to be a, a big thing for them, and uh, it builds off their their 2018 partnership with Translate Bio, um, and it just it makes sense from a strategic perspective. Yeah, I mean, the two companies have been working together for a couple of years now, and they have, uh, they actually have a, a messenger RNA COVID-19 vaccine, which I think is in phase one or phase one, two studies. And they have got a, a, a messenger RNA influenza vaccine, which is at a similar stage of development. Um, as you mentioned, you know, um, the, the companies that have, have really made inroads into messenger RNA are sort of viewing influenza as the kind of the next opportunity. And actually Pfizer and, and BioNTech um, have said that they're going to hopefully move their vaccine into phase three studies by the end of this quarter. So even with this deal, um, you know, Sanofi is, 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 is playing catch up, I guess we'd say, you know, Pfizer do seem to be well positioned for this kind of influenza opportunity. We'll obviously got to see how the data pans out. Um, on a related note, um, Moderna announced its Q2 revenues today, confirming that its second quarter revenues for its COVID-19 vaccine were about $4.2 billion, and its projected revenues for the full year are around $20 billion. Um, it was interesting to note that Moderna saying that its six-month data shows um, efficacy of 92%, which is higher than the 87% recently cited by Pfizer. But like Pfizer, it does agree that a third uh, booster shot uh, would be recommended for certain uh, patients or certain uh, parts of the population this winter, particularly with the Delta variant uh, spreading uh, around the world. This is obviously um, going to feed into the ongoing debate as to whether 
heavily vaccinated countries such as the US and parts of Europe should be prioritizing booster shots at this time, given that there's a very small incidence of breakthrough infections which lead to severe disease or hospitalization when other countries in the world uh, are yet to kind of be anywhere near the same level of coverage uh, with, a niche, with their initial vaccination programs.